What is up, View family? Okay. <laughs> uh, my name is Jacob Simmons. I serve as the college director here, and I am so glad to be uh, in the house of the Lord with you guys tonight. Uh, first and foremost, I want to thank Daniel for giving me the opportunity to be up here. I mean, this is an amazing opportunity to be with you guys tonight. Um, I am from I'm originally from Jonesboro, Arkansas. Um, so I graduated from Arkansas State. I met my wife, Hannah, there. Uh, we've been married for a little over a year now. So those of you that know Hannah, she is awesome. And uh, yeah, give her some love. I brought, some, I brought Arkansas with me a little bit tonight, too. I got my mom and my Aunt Weezer. She's cool. And then I got my in-laws over here, too. So I'm um, very glad to be here with you guys tonight. Um, like we've said in the past, if, if this is your first time here, we want to be able to connect with you. So if you're a first-time guest tonight, we would love for you to text GUEST to 901-833-7525. We would love to connect with you. One of our staff will reach out to you. One of our college students will reach out to you. We just want to get to know you a little bit. Uh, so please feel free. If it's your first time, we would love to get connected with you. And then secondly, last week, we started off-campus life groups. And those of you guys that went, you guys know it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun with off-campus life groups. And so what that is is a way for a guy's group and a girl's group to be able to get together, study the Word, get to know some other college students, and then really grow in that community aspect of college. And so um, if you're interested in that, text that same number and just say guys' life group or girls' life group. And uh, we would love to get you connected and tell you about that. Masks are required, as you see up there. Um, but it's a lot of fun. We'll, we'll let you know the details more about that um, if you're interested in that. Um, but like I said, we're going to dive into the Word tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 22. Genesis chapter 22. We're going to jump right into it. It's the first book of the Bible. If you didn't know where Genesis is, it's the first book. We'll be in the 22nd chapter. And as you guys know, if you've been here over the last few weeks, we have been preaching through the names of God. Daniel has done an incredible job through these names, and he's talked about Elohim. We did a two-parter on Elohim, who's our creator God. You guys remember it was our powerful name that we see uh, in Genesis chapter 1, talking about uh, him creating the heavens of the earth. It gives him authority. That name is his authoritative name. And then last week, we talked about Jehovah, or we talked about Jehovah our personal and relational God. He's the God that knows you, knows me, knows every hair on our head. He knows us intimately. That's that relational God that we have. Um, so we talked about Jehovah last week. And Daniel preached on uh, Moses' encounter with God. And what an encounter that would be to be able face-to-face -face with God and be able to ask him. Moses asked him, who should I say sent me? And he said, Yahweh, I am, sent you. Wow, that's Yahweh is the same as Jehovah. It's actually just four syllable or four consonants in Hebrew. And we don't know how to pronounce it. No one knows how to pronounce it. Some say Yahweh, some say Jehovah, but it is the holy name of God. And they even spent so much time revering this name that they would not even try to pronounce it themselves. They wouldn't even say it. They replaced it with another name. Because they didn't want, they wanted to show such reverence for the name of God. And so as we're thinking tonight about the names of God, and we're going to talk about another name of God, I want you to really hone in on showing reverence for the name of God. It's important for us to know who we're talking about, and it's important for us to know, um, as we call him by his name, who he is and how that name describes him. And last week we even talked about how believing in Elohim, the creator God, is a lot different in believing in and knowing Jehovah God. It's different. You can believe there's a God. You know, Satan believes there's a God. 
But believing in him and knowing that he is the God, your personal Savior, that is what makes the difference between um, Elohim, Jehovah. And so tonight, we're going to talk about another name of God that describes Jehovah. And the title of my sermon is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. If you're taking notes, write that down. Jehovah, it'll be on the screen. It's, yeah, Jireh. I don't know how that's Jireh, but we'll go with it. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Not only is God personal to us, but he provides for us. He is a provider. He always provides, not all the time in ways that we want, but sometimes in ways that we need. And so tonight, when we're looking at this passage, we're actually going to look and see that God sometimes wants our obedience and our faithfulness, and he'll take care of the rest. It's the one step at a time approach. We want to be faithful to God today in the now in the here. And so a little bit of background as before we jump in. Like I said, we're in Genesis chapter 22. This is the time when Abraham is actually in the picture. And God has already told Abraham to go to the promised land. He's told him that he would be a great nation through his descendants, right? So those of you who know um, this story, we know that Abraham has already been told all these things. And so here we are in chapter 22. Um, he said he was, he's been promised that through his bloodline would come the Messiah. But there was a bit of a problem. Abraham and Sarah, his wife, were actually old. <laughs> they were so old. Abraham was around 100 years old and Sarah's around 90 years old. So imagine like your 90-year-old grandma trying to have a baby. They haven't had a baby yet. <laughs> it, it's, it's one of those things where we have to realize that um, it, it was very difficult in the time for them to believe that God would actually bless them with a child, but he did. He blessed them with their son Isaac. And so um, we know that the, the, the bloodline would come and Israel would be born um, through Isaac. And so if you, if you have your Bibles, Genesis 22, we'll start in verse 1. It says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split the wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. Watch this. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Wow. Then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And in his hand, he took the fire and the knife and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father. And he replied, Here I am, my son. <laughs> Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. And when they had arrived at the place that God had told them about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, Here I am. Then he said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your only son from me, Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram, offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. So today it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Let's pray for a second. Father God, you are good. <laughs> 
You are holy. You are perfect. You have given us your son Jesus. You are the provider of all things. You're the giver of all things, God. You take away. But God, we want to worship and honor your name tonight. God, speak to, speak to us in different ways, God. I pray you would split this message up 300 different ways tonight. God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Do the, do the work that only you can do, Lord. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, tonight we'll look at three different things about Jehovah Jireh. Number one, Jehovah Jireh will test your faith. Ouch. <laughs> it's not going to be a super lighthearted, easy sermon tonight. Jehovah Jireh will test your faith. And we see right off the bat here in, in verse 1, it says, After these things God tested Abraham. He will test your faith. And look what, what, look what he said. He said, take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. God told him to do something that didn't make sense to him. He didn't just love Isaac. He knew that he was the promised son. Right? We talked about that already. We knew that he was supposed to have the nation of Israel come behind him. And so this was very confusing. It seemed like a contradiction to Abraham. To, for God to even allow him to do something like that, it just seemed like it wasn't supposed to happen. But Abraham, he, he showed God, and uh, he showed God later on that he was faithful. But this also reminded me the story of Job. You guys know Job. Job was a man who was actually faithful to the Lord. He loved the Lord. He was a faithful man, and he feared God. He absolutely feared him. But God gave Satan permission to test him. God allowed Satan to take away his family, his possessions, his, um, what else did he take? He took all kinds of stuff away. He took um, his family, his possessions. He, took, he gave him boils all over his body. Um, he literally took him down to the rock bottom place in his life to where he said, okay, now you don't have anything. What do you have left to give? Do you want to give yourself over to Christ still? Do you want to give yourself over to the Lord? And he said, yes, I still love the Lord. He was faithful, even though he knew that he had everything from this earth taken away. He knew that God was worth worshiping. He knew that God, the God of the Bible, is worth worshiping. And so as we kind of think about that a little bit, I want you to think about two things that God will use trials in your life for. And they're going to be up on the screen. Two things that God will use trials in our life for. Number one is to show us where we are spiritually. Write that down. Sometimes a trial in your life is to show you where you are spiritually. <laughs> are you going to run to the Lord or are you going to run from the Lord? It's, it's simple as that, but he wants to see where we are spiritually. And number two, to prepare us for where he wants us to go. Because we don't just stay in it. We don't just stay in a trial. We're always either going to a trial, we're in one, or we're coming out of one, right? It's always that cycle sometimes, it seems. But God uses those things, guys. And so if we focus too much on what the trial is and what's going on in the circumstances, you will miss God working in the midst of it. Thank you. Uh, this, this really made me think of uh, my grandfather. Um, this, the same scenario, uh, back in two, 2018, my grandfather, um, 
I'll, tell you, I'll give you a little bit of backstory for my grandfather. He was a man of God. He was a man after God's own heart, literally. I think of this man all the time. He was a, a spiritual warrior. He was a prayer warrior. But he was also the spiritual glue of our family. He loved the Lord Jesus. He would share Jesus at restaurants. He was always sharing with uh, the waiter or waitress. Or We'd be in a mall and that man sharing the gospel with somebody. At his old age, I mean, he's like 75, 80 years old, walking around sharing Jesus, making me feel bad, you know, uh, being some kind of lowly person on, on the totem pole here, but he was always that glue for me, and I looked to him as a role model. A lot of you guys have role models like this in your life, um, but in 2018, he was diagnosed with liver cancer, and like I said, he was older, but he, he ha- I had to watch him suffer, and I had to watch him go through something really hard, and e- even though I was questioning God, and I was, I was telling, I was asking God, why would you do this to my grandpa? He had the attitude that was completely different. He knew that the Lord was using it for something, for a greater purpose. He just knew all the time. He had a smile on his face, and guys, he was suffering. I was like, how can I have that heart? I want that heart. But as as time went on, time went on, he slowly started to look more sick and more sick, and finally he did pass away in the summer of 2018. And at his funeral... The preacher of his church, and and mind you, this man was such a godly man that whenever he retired, his church ordained him as a pastor just because they loved the work that he was doing and thought that he would serve the church well. So my my grandfather got ordained at like 75 years old. It was really cool. Um, But my pastor loved my grandpa dearly. And he gets on on stage and he he honors my grandfather and he does such a great job. We're all crying. It's it's a really sad time. But he says, Jim, his, his name was Jim. He said, Jim told me before he passed away, that I had to share the gospel at his funeral. He said, I have to get up on this stage and share the gospel or else he'd be mad. And he would know it. And so he gets up there and he shares the gospel. He lays it out so beautifully. It's, it's just so much passion. And then I see this little boy. This little boy gets up and he makes his way down the aisle and he talks to the pastor and he said, I loved Jim so much and I want what he had. I want what he had. Even though he was in the midst of a trial, guys, he was teaching people how to love the Lord. It doesn't matter what goes on in this earth. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. If we cling to the promises of God and know that he is good, nothing in this world is going to phase us. Nothing is going to take your joy away if you really focus in on that. And so I, just, I will always and forever remember that little boy saying, I want what he had, even though he was suffering, even though he was going through the biggest trial of his life. We have to treat God the same way. We have to think about in our own lives, are we ever so worried about a trial that we're in that we miss God, that we miss God moving around us? Sometimes I do. I was so distraught that I just missed the whole, the whole kingdom aspect. I didn't realize I was so focused in on what's going on in front of me that I missed what was going on around me, and I missed that God could actually be working. Why would I not have that positive attitude to look towards? But we have to do that. And guys, this made me think of Romans 8.28. And a lot of people use this verse in the wrong way. Um, but it says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And now keep this verse up here for a second. It says, those who, it says, I'm sorry, it worked together for the good of those who love God. Sometimes people get that mixed up and people think that that means happy. It doesn't say it works together for the happy, happiness of you, whether you're happy all the time. It says for the good of those who love him. And so sometimes that good looks like maybe me going through a trial so that God can bring someone else into his kingdom. Amen? Because if my grandfather was able to go through all that just for one person to come to know Jesus, that is worth it, guys. That is worth it. 
And so we have to have this kingdom mentality of not just thinking about, oh, I'm going through a trial right now, pray for me. That's okay, we can do that. But guys, we have to realize that God uses those things. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. And a lot of these trials that we go through, broken families, a lot of you are part of broken families. Things that you can't control. Some of you, are, some of you have relationships that are ugly. Some of you guys know that you're in a relationship that is not good for you. <laughs> some of you know that it's not a God-glorifying relationship. Some of you think and know that you have unexpected life changes coming in front of you. Things are going to change. Things are going to change in your life. They're always changing, right? All of these trials, all of these things that we go through will make you do one of two things. It's going to make you either turn to Him or run from Him. Think about that. How are you going to respond to your trials? How are you going to act? Are you going to turn to him or are you going to run away from him? Because I know him as the God who is faithful, who provides. We're going to see even just in a minute. Our faithfulness is crucial in this life. We have to be faithful followers of Jesus. So let's look at how Abraham responds. He says in verse 3, Abraham got up early in the morning. (laughs) Some of y'all don't even get up early in the morning to spend time with Jesus. This man got up early in the morning to go and get ready for a sacrifice of his son. He's been told to sacrifice his son. And he got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two young men and his son Isaac. They split the wood for the burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. Even though Isaac was going through uh, this trial, and and even though Isaac was the son of the promise, Abraham obeyed faithfully. It doesn't say that Abraham put an extra goat in his backpack so that he could have it just in case. It doesn't say that. It says that he got ready, he took his son, and he went. That is immediate obedience. And a couple of things that I think about when talking about immediate obedience, sometimes we forget that God calls us to do something and we don't have to wait to do it. (laughs) Yes, I'm all for waiting and I'm all for praying, obviously. If it's a big decision, pray about it. I'm not telling you not to pray about it. But I am telling you, if God has spoken to your heart, if God has given you something, laid something on your heart to do, or if it's scriptural, do it. This baptism trough over here is a great example. Some of you guys won't get in these waters because you know or you think that you have to be all put together in order to be baptized. Let me tell you something. You are never going to be put together enough to own up to what Jesus has done for you. What this does is show that Christ has put you together. That's all this does is show you that Christ has put you together. It is not about you looking good. I mean, obviously, we want, to be, we want to be sinless before the Lord, and we strive to be that, obviously. But we, we know that God has called us to do that. Jesus commanded it in the Great Commission. He commanded us to baptize people. All throughout the book of Acts, we see that Peter and his, and his guys are always commanding people to be baptized, repent, and be baptized. It doesn't save you, but it is a picture, and God has commanded us to let it be a picture for those around you. That's why we we love doing baptisms on Monday night, because it shows, it shares the gospel so well that you have died to your own self. You've died to the old stuff that you've done. You've died to the person that you were the day before you gave your life to Christ, and you are raised to walk in the newness of life. You have a new life in Jesus Christ. You don't have to have it all put together. You don't have to be the person that has everything put together. You just have to be the person that knows that Christ has changed you from the inside out. And it'll work, and he'll work his magic in you. It's just so cool. Um, but some of you know that God is calling you to do something like that, whether it be baptism, whether it be 
called a ministry. Goodness, I look around in this room and I see people who are hungry for God and who are hungry for the Word and, and want to serve and share Jesus the best that they can. Maybe God is calling you to ministry and you know that He is, but you don't want to take that step in faith. I'm talking to somebody. Some of you are going to be missionaries one day. Some of you guys are going to be giving your life to the mission field to go share Jesus with people that don't look like you, don't act like you, and don't sound like you. Maybe you know that in your heart. Maybe it's just really hard for you to come to grips with that. I'm telling you right now, immediate obedience. You may not know what tomorrow has, but you can know that today I'm going to be faithful to Him. I'm going to be faithful to God. So really think about that. Continue to look at that. Jesus addressed those who didn't obey him too. He said in Luke 6, 46, he said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Ouch. <laughs> he said, Why do you call me Lord? Why do you, Lord just means master. Why do you call me your master when you don't even do what I say? Paul, why would he say that, man? I'm sorry, I had to pick on you, bro. I saw you smiling at me. I just saw you smiling at me. Why would he say that? Why would he say, Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? We have to be a person who is a doer. And James talks about that as well. James 1.22, it says, Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only deceiving yourself. Don't be a half doer of the word either. <laughs> Fully obey God. You may want to do part of it. You may say, oh, I'll save this part for later. But seriously, guys, if you have heard from the Lord, just be obedient in full faith and full obedience. Let me tell you something. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. Let that sink in. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. If you're not obeying the full command of God, you're not obeying Him at all. That's tough, man. That's tough for me. That hurts me. That hurts my soul. It's like, ooh, man. But it's true. We have to remember that, guys. We have to be completely and fully obedient to the Lord. Number two we're going to talk about tonight. Jehovah Jireh, the provider, the Lord that provides. He desires your whole heart. I know we're talking about obedience, but he wants all of you as well. He wants your whole heart. Look at verse 4. It says, On the third day Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. My goodness, worship? He's literally associating sacrifice with worship. And remember, you have to realize too, this is the first time that worship is mentioned in the Bible. This is the very first time worship is mentioned in the Bible. And it's associated with sacrifice. A lot of us don't think of worship that way, Kendall. A lot of us don't think of worship as us laying down ourselves, laying down something that is ours and giving it to God. We don't think of it that way. That's what it is. That's what the, that's what the Scripture shows us. It's the laying down of your sinful ways. It's even repentance, guys. Worship is not, is not just raising your hands and singing a song. It's you laying down your sin, giving it to the foot of the cross. Think of it that way. Don't just look around and see everybody singing and think that it's just some... Hoot nanny. Daniel says that sometimes. It makes me laugh. <laughs> so don't think of it as some hoot nanny. Think of it as you laying down a part of yourself, your sinful self, and giving it to the cross. Giving it to him, man. That's so good. And in verse 5, he even has the faith that God is going to bring them both back. He says in verse 5, he says, we will come back to you. He says we. He doesn't say me because he knows that God has told him to sacrifice his son Isaac. He says we will come back. Why would he say that? Hebrews talks about this a little bit in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 17. Write this one down. This is a really fascinating study. 
Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his only son, the one to whom it had been said, Your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God, listen, he considered God to be even able to raise someone from the dead, therefore receiving him back, figuratively speaking. He is saying that he believes, even if he struck his son Isaac, he knew that, he, that God, Jehovah Jireh, has the power to raise him from the dead. I mean, he knew that he had that power. He knew that, that God would f- fulfill his promises no matter what. And so even though he was testing him, he knew he was in the test. But he knew that God had the power to raise him from the dead. That's so good. Abraham had a choice. He either had a choice to worry about what he might lose, or he would just trust God, knowing that he is the giver of all things and that he's in control. He doesn't just, you know, he chooses to trust God, but he chooses to also worship him in the midst of that trial. uh, A lot of you guys know my wife, Hannah. She is, uh, she's an incredible gift giver. She's an incredible gift giver. She knows how to read my mind and know just what I want. And just, she'll buy me Grizzlies tickets, y'all. She's buying me all kinds of stuff. She bought me this board uh, that, or this map that goes up in my office, and I can stick tacks in it and see where we've been. And so over the years, we'll be able to put a tack in wherever we've been. That's cool. I mean, that's intentional, y'all. That is intentional. And I'm over here getting her, like, socks and a turtleneck sweater or something like that. Like, it's, it's just unreal the way that she is such a giver. But you guys know that Hannah does not give me those things just to give me stuff, right? Hannah does not just give me things just to be a giver. She gives them to me because she loves me, right? You love me, right, baby? (laughs) She gives them to me because she loves me. And I would be a really terrible husband if I turned around and I just loved her back just for the things she got me, right? I mean, girls are like, amen, yes. She, it would, I would be a terrible husband if I did that. But I don't. I love her because of her giving heart. I love her because of her heart. I don't care what, what she gives. I mean, I love what you give me, baby. But I don't, I don't care what she gives me. I love her for her because it's the heart behind it. She is such, so intentional. I want her. I don't care what I get on this earth. I don't care what things that I have. I want her. And so we see the very same thing. In our lives with God, we have to treat God the exact same way. We have to love the blesser more than the blessing. We have to love the blesser more than the blessing. He chose the blesser. Abraham chose the blesser. He said, you can take my son. I'm going to choose you. <laughs> that is, that's amazing to me. It reminds me of that song, Nothing Else. Y'all know Jeff. He'd be up here slaying that thing. He can sing it. That song, Nothing Else, y'all know what I'm talking about. It says, I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. More than anything you can do, I just want you. Wow, that's the most powerful song I've ever heard. Do we love the blesser more than the blessing? Look at me, or not look at me, look with me in verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. When Isaac spoke to his father Abraham, he said, My father, and he replied, Here I am, my son. (laughs) Watch, Isaac picks up on what's going on. Isaac says, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. Isaac realized there wasn't no sacrifice. There wasn't no goat that he was lugging around with him. He, he, he was starting to pick up on what was going on. But again, Abraham had faith that God would provide. He says, the Lord will provide for us, son. And so Abraham's faith had come a long way from where it was in the past. I don't know if you guys know much about Abraham, but before they actually had Isaac, they were, uh, they were still in their old age, and God had promised them that they were going to, like I said, have a, have a child and, and a great nation would come from them. Um, but they got so impatient with waiting on God. They knew that they were in their old age. They got so impatient that uh, they tried to take things into their own hands, to say the least. Genesis 16, we'll just read a couple verses, verses 1 and 2. It says, Abram's wife Sarah had not borne any child for him, but she, owed, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarah said to Abraham, Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave perhaps. Through her I can build a family. And Abraham agreed with what Sarah said. Abraham and Sarah were so impatient with God's plan that they wanted to do it their own way. How many of us do that? How many of us are so anxious? Our, our society and our culture tells us to go, go, go. We got to get it done now. We got to have a wife by the time we're out of college. We got to have different things. We got to have a job lined up when we get out of college. I mean, it's good to have a job, but you don't have to have a job whenever you get out of college. It, it, the Lord's timing is perfect, guys. The Lord's timing is perfect. What he is saying, what Abraham showed in this passage is take that step and know you're with God. Take that next step and know you're with God. Believe in him. Understand him. Understand what he wants you to go and take that step. You don't have to know what's going to go on. You don't have to have a five-year plan. You'll go to college and hear people say, what's your five-year plan? You don't have to have a five-year plan. Just follow God today. Be faithful today. Sometimes we don't get what we want, but God is always going to provide what we need when we need it. He's always going to do that. He wants to, be, he wants to desire, excuse me, he desires your submission. He desires my submission. So thirdly, Jehovah Jireh will provide for those who fear him. Jehovah Jireh, if you're taking notes, will provide for those who fear him. And we'll see that in verse 9. We see what happens here. Oh Gosh, I can't imagine this scene. When they have arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood, he bound his son, his only son, Isaac, and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. Abraham was obeying what God had told him to do. But you can imagine that hand's probably a little shaky. That heart is beaten. He doesn't know. He still feels like maybe that's a little bit of a contradiction. But he's going to do it just because God told him to. But watch this. You have to also see Isaac's obedience in this as well. Isaac was a young boy. His dad was about 100 years old. So you can bet that he's going to be able to get away from his dad. <laughs> Am I right, Will? He, he's going to get away from his dad if he wants to. And so we have to see Isaac's obedience in this as well. It says that he bound him up and placed him on the altar. It doesn't show any signs of a struggle. It doesn't show any signs of him trying to get away. Isaac knew, watch this, Isaac knew that God or that his father, Abraham, was being faithful and he was going to follow in submission to that. Wow. His son, his only son, was submissive enough to be willing to sacrifice his own self when he probably could have got away. He probably could have outran his pops. 
But he didn't. He laid, him, he laid himself down and was submissive to his father. Look at verse 11. It says, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, Here I am. Then the angel of the Lord said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Wow. He feared God. The angel of the Lord stopped him because he feared God. But what does fearing God actually mean? Does it mean that kind of fear? I mean, yes, to a degree. Uh, but fearing God, it means that we recognize he is completely holy and we're not. That he is able to judge sin and we're not. But at the same time, he is loving and he has the ability to save us when we cannot. So if, you, if you're taking notes, write a column of God, write a column of us. And say, holy, not. <laughs> uh, say, he's judge of sin, can't. Able to save, I can't, but I believe in the God that is able to save me. That's what he's saying here. That's what a fear is. We know that, yes, he is merciful and he is gracious and he gives us e the opportunity to have eternal life with him. He also judges sin. He's a judge as well. It goes hand in hand. We have to remember both sides of God here. And Charles Spurgeon said it best. I love this quote. It says, He who fears God has nothing else to fear. He who fears God has nothing else to fear. What he's saying there, long story short, is what he's saying there. If you fear God, you don't have to worry about the things of this earth. The trials, the struggle, the heartbreak, the hurt. You don't have to worry about those things. If you fear God, you don't have anything else to fear, Salsa. We have to remember that, guys. Abraham's fear of the Lord helped him not be afraid of the hardships on this earth. Look what happens after that. Verse 13, it says, Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Wow. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Y'all want to know what Tony Evans says? Tony Evans says, while Abraham was going through his trial on one side of the mountain, the Lord was bringing the solution up the other side of the mountain. The ram. Abraham didn't know that ram was up there. He didn't know what was coming next. He didn't know if he was going to allow him to, to kill his son or not. But God was working it out for him on the other side. He was, he was working it out for him. Just like Romans 8 said. He's working it out for the good of those who love him, who fear him, and who want and desire him more than anything. He will work it out for us. And so, as we're looking at this tonight, uh, we may not see behind the scenes action of our own lives. Think about this personally. You may not see behind the scenes action of what's going on, but we have to be faithful and obedient. And he will be Jehovah Jireh in your life. He will provide for you. He will. He requires your faithfulness and your obedience. It's a lot easier said than done, I can tell you. I've lived a life just like y'all have, and you know that it's hard to be faithful sometimes if you're a believer. It's really hard. But every now and then, you get something. You get something that encourages you. You get something that reminds you, oh yeah, God. And this isn't in, this isn't in my notes, but sometimes we have to look backwards in order to remember who, Jehovah, who Jehovah Jireh is. We have to look back in what he's done in our lives because, guys, I know each one of us in this room can at least say that God has blessed us in one area. Am I right? We can all at least say that God has blessed us. No matter what trials you've been through or struggles you've been through, you can be rest assured that God has provided for you and he will continue to provide for you if you have faith and you obey him. 
I love this. Psalm one, excuse me, Psalm 119, 105. It says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And Daniel Harris taught me this. Daniel taught me that a lamp, is, it, it only shines enough light for one step. Wow. It says your word is a lamp unto my feet. It only shows you what step that you need to take. It doesn't say that the word of God is a spotlight to your path. It doesn't show you the whole way. He doesn't know what's going to go on. But what he wants you to do is take that lamp, take the word of God, take him by, by his hand and step. Make that step. Faith step. That lamp stays with you. It's right here next to you, but you have to keep it close to you. If you set your lamp right here and you walk away, what good is it going to do you? You have to keep it next to you. You have to keep it close to you. I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself. Keep it close to you and let him show you the step. Be faithful in that step. I know I'm speaking to somebody. I'm speaking to myself. My goodness. It doesn't say that it's a spotlight. We have to be faithful. Be faithful. So college student, I know that was a lot. That was a lot to take in. But if you haven't listened to anything at all, I want you to hone in right here with me for just one second. Hone in with me and see something that's so cool. This story not only shows that God provided for Abraham and for Isaac, but it also shows how he's going to provide the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years later. You can see, if, if you don't think that Jesus is in the Old Testament, please reread this passage when you get home. It is all throughout this passage. Number one, we see Isaac carrying up the wood on his back, right? His father put the wood on his back. They're going up the mountain together. Isn't that what Jesus did? He had to put his cross on his back for you, for me. He did that for the sin of the world. Carried it on his back and walked up the hill. Just like Isaac, he was, he was submissive to his father, he knew that he had to go there for a single purpose, and that was to restore you and to give me and you the opportunity to be restored by his grace. Carried that cross. Just like he was carrying that cross, Isaac carried the wood up the hill. 2,000 years later, y'all get this. This is the same mountain that Jesus was crucified on. Just on the other side, a little bit in a different spot. We won't get into all that. But it's the same mountain. Jesus was going to be crucified on this same mountain. And lastly, it's very obvious, right there at the end, we see the ram. He was stuck in a thorn bush. Our Savior had the crown of thorns placed on his head whenever he was being crucified. He was stuck in a thorn bush. This ram, you have to know this about the ram too, the ram was actually the most expensive sacrifice that could have been given. Wow. They wouldn't even sacrifice a ram because they knew that it could either uh, be used to breed other rams or it could be offered up as food or trade or anything else. They wouldn't even sacrifice this. They, this was, they would have sacrificed that cost less money. He was the most expensive sacrifice, and Jesus Christ is the most expensive sacrifice that we could ever have. Amen? Please, amen. Guys, Jesus is in this passage. We've talked about immediate obedience. But some of you, some of you don't know the Lord. Actually, everybody stand up if you would. Put your stuff away. You can stand up. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're just going to talk to each other for a minute.
that same sacrificial ram that was offered up is the same representation of Jesus Christ himself. We, all, we always want to have an answer. Well, here, here's one answer that God has obviously given us. He has provided in this way that he sent Jesus Christ to this earth for you and for me. That is a fact. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. Bow your heads with me. Think about it yourself. Don't look around. Think about this yourself. Has there ever been a time in your life when you have known God personally, relationally, the Jehovah God? The Bible is very clear. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that. We know that we are not perfect people. We know that we need a Savior. We need a sacrifice on our behalf because if it, was on, if it was up to us, just like the baptism trough, if it was up to us, we would not be even able to get into this trough and say that the Lord has saved us because we cannot save ourselves. But the Bible says if you confess with your heart Jesus as Lord, as Master, that's not just a word. Jesus said, if you confess me as Lord... And believe in your heart. It can't be in the head. Like I said earlier, Satan knows about Jesus. Satan knows he's real. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he actually came to this earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he never sinned, he was the perfect, all-knowing son of God. If you believe with your whole heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is there a time in your life when you've actually put that kind of faith in God? It's not just a prayer, it's a faith. Have you put that faith in Jesus Christ tonight or anytime? All you have to do is repent of your sin. Turn from your own ways. Turn away from yourself and turn towards Christ. Believe that he has actually came to this earth and he actually died and rose again. And then receive him just like a gift. God has given you a free gift, and all you have to do is receive it. That's the last part. That's the good part. All you got to do is take the gift. If you believe that, you take the gift. If that's you tonight, if you're sitting here and you're like, I've never done that before in my life. If that's you tonight, please text Jesus to 901-833-7525. Put your phone out right now. Right now, if you want to talk to somebody about having a relationship with Jesus tonight, you can talk to us. One of our staff will call you and talk to you. That's the most important part of our job. We want to make sure that you know without a shadow of a doubt that you don't have to doubt your salvation. You may may not know what's coming tomorrow, but you know when you die. It doesn't matter what comes to you on this earth. You will be in heaven with him for eternity. If you want to know that, please get out your phone and text Jesus. And for for the Christian in the room, if you're already a believer, maybe you know God is calling you to ministry. Maybe you know God is calling you to missions. It's scary. It's a scary thing. Both of those things are so scary. But God only, only wants us to take a step. If we put... If we, if we put our yes 
on the table to God, he will put you on the map. He will put it on the map. Doesn't matter where you go, just be faithful today. Above all else, guys, we have to learn to love the blesser more than the blessing. Father, we love you. And we're so thankful for you. We're thankful that you sent your only son to die for us. God, there's, we don't deserve that. We don't deserve your love, your grace, your mercy. God, I pray that we right now would be on our faces before you. Let our hearts be in a humble state to know that you are Jehovah Jireh. You will provide. You just want our faithfulness, our obedience. God, we love you. And we pray, Lord, that you would be Jehovah Jireh and continue to be Jehovah Jireh in all of our lives, Lord. We give you the rest of this night. We give you the rest of this week. God, we pray it all in Jesus' name.